0: Uh, it's been about three and a half years since I've been here at Highland, and uh, boy, what a joy it was to uh, pastor here for eight years. And I'm so thrilled uh, when uh, you all uh, called Kevin as your pastor. Uh, that's what I was hoping all along, and so uh, I'm I'm glad about that. And uh, I'm glad to see each one that's here today. So many that's moved on, uh, passed on. Um, so many funerals uh, over just in the last three years. So many people missing. Uh, Um, I remember just looking out and seeing Brother Joe and Miss Warner and uh, so many, you know, that has gone. And uh, I tell you, it's one great thing we can think of, though, is that we'll get to see them again uh, based on their testimony of salvation. Uh, If they're in heaven, then we're going to see them there as well if we're saved. Well, uh, I do have a message this morning, and I want you to pray for me as I try to preach this. If you have your copy of God's Word, it's in the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, Jonah chapter 1, uh, it's on page 546 in your pew Bible there in front of you, Jonah chapter 1, and I want to look at the first five verses. I really want to look at all four chapters, but (laughs) uh, for time's sake, we're going to try to keep it down to the first five verses, Jonah chapter 1, and if you're able to stand, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? Jonah chapter 1, starting with verse 1. And here the Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning. Lord, just we're asking for your help. We need you so much right now, God. Thank you so much for all the good singing we've heard today and the sweet spirit. But God, most of all today, we want to leave from this service knowing what a mighty God that we serve. Lord, keep me out of the way. May you be seen and present today. Preach through me and for me, God. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You could be seated. Well, if you underline things in your Bible, would you underline that phrase? It's Twice there in verse 3, from the presence of the Lord. From the presence of the Lord. And we've titled the message that this morning, from the presence of the Lord. Now, we look at this Old Testament prophet this morning, Jonah the prophet. And I'm sure you're much like I am when you were a child. This was one of those fascinating Bible stories that you were told in Sunday school. Maybe vacation Bible school. Uh, In fact, here we had a vacation Bible school with that theme uh, of Jonah, and we always think about the whale, Jonah and the whale. In fact, as a little kid, that's about all you remember is the man that got swallowed up by a whale and was in there three days and three nights, and uh, that's about as far as we took it as a child. Uh, I'm afraid today that even Christians that's been around for quite a while uh, still think of the whale when it comes to the prophet Jonah. I want you to know the well is just a little teeny tiny part of that story. There's a much greater story that God has for us in this book of Jonah. And that is what he's given his prophet to do. But it's to glorify God. The whole thing is to glorify God to show us his grace, to show us his mercy, to show us that even if you sin, even if you run from God, that God is always there for you, willing and able to take you back in and to redeem you. And so we have this story of this Old Testament prophet. Now, the Old Testament says it was a great fish that he was swallowed by. It doesn't say a whale. Uh, the Lord Jesus says it's a whale in the New Testament, in uh, Matthew chapter 12, I believe it is. But in the Old Testament, it only says a great fish. And by the way, the Bible says God prepared that great fish to swallow his prophet up for a reason. So, uh, as like I said, as a child, we think about the, the fish and the man... Let's try to think a little deeper this morning, okay? Look at verse 1 again. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... And let's stop there. All right, so a few things that we see from this text. First of all... This word comes from the Lord. Now in your King James Bible you're going to see all capital letters L O R D. What that is, that is the national name for God. It uh, some it's called Yahweh in some instances, but in the King James Bible it would be Jehovah. That is what that word means. Now, you can see that word all through the Old Testament, and when you see it, you could say, nearly say, almost every instance is referring to even the Lord Jesus in the New Testament because they're really one and the same. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all three in one. And so we establish the fact right off that this is the Lord telling him what to do. It's not a governing body, it's not some convention, it's not somebody else, but it's God. He is the master of his man, Jonah. Now, let's establish the fact right off. Jonah is a man of God. Jonah is an Old Testament prophet. Jonah's job is to do what God says to do. It's to go where God says to go. There's not a choice there. God didn't say, Jonah, uh, would you like to go down to Nineveh and preach to them? He didn't say, Jonah, listen, I've got this list of multiple choices that you can have. You can go to, to Nineveh, you can go to Israel, you can go to Tarsus. You know, he didn't give him a choice. God had a purpose for his man. Now, the human penman of this book of Jonah is most likely Jonah himself. We know God is the author of the Scripture. But he used men to write down his word as he inspired them to write it. And so this is Jonah, no doubt, writing the text. Uh, He refers to himself there as the son of Amittai. Now, nothing else is known about his father except for that right there. That's about it. We know Jonah was a Hebrew because he says so further down in the text there in verse 9. He tells us. And over in Second Kings 14 and 25, we're told Jonah was from the city of Getheper. And that is a small northern city in northern Israel on the border. And it's also where the tribe of Zebulun was from. And so we could say that Jonah was from Getheper. He was a Hebrew, and he was of the tribe of Zebulun. Um, if If you rightly divide the word of truth, that's what you'll come up with. Now, it's believed perhaps around 750 B.C. when this approximately was written. Uh, The Bible doesn't give us the date, so we can't tell that for sure, but that's what uh, most believe. Now, look at verse 2. The Bible says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. All right, so the word of the Lord to Jonah is that he is to go to Nineveh and Cry against it. To cry against it means to preach. It means to herald your voice to the people. Jonah, go out there to Nineveh, and I want you to preach to those people. Cry out to them what I'm going to tell you to cry out. Now, it seems like a very simple task, right? God's told him what to do. Notice again, he didn't ask him for his opinion. He didn't give him a choice. He said, arise and go. It's not up for debate. These are Jonah's marching orders, if you will with God being the captain and Jonah being the soldier. And he says, you go. Uh, It's sort of like being at work. If I go to work and my boss says, Byron, you're going to do this job today. It's not my, I don't have the choice to say, no, no, I'm I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to do this over here today. It doesn't work that way. The next thing you know, I'll be out on the street. Uh, Well, Jonah, it's not his choice to do what God says, it is his commission. God has commanded him to do this, and that's his job. Now, God tells him to go to a place that he has no desire to go. In fact, he loathes this place. He can't stand the people. He can't stand the country. He can't stand anything about it, and he don't want to go. In fact, uh, Jonah can't stand Nineveh. Uh, the people of Nineveh were Assyrians. They were the ones that came in and invaded his home country. No doubt he witnessed as they came in and took the women and the children and, and did all the damage and the, and the destruction. And so he don't want anything to do with that. They're his enemy. It'd be like us going over to North Korea you know, or Russia or China or somewhere, you know, where they're against us. Uh, you know, uh, that's, that's what it's like. And so Nineveh was a very, very wicked, wicked city. Uh, it was one of the largest cities in all that area. In fact, it was the capital city of Assyria. Nineveh was so huge, I've read that it, take, it would take three days to, go, to walk from one side to the other of it. So it's a, a large city. Uh, it's said that there was a great wall that, that surrounded the city that was 100 feet tall and so broad that three chariots side by side could go around the top of that wall around the city. It's estimated there may have been as many as 2 million people in that city in the day of Jonah. Now, this is a pagan city full of wicked people. They don't worship God. In fact, most of them worship fish. They worship fish gods. They worship Baal, of course, like all of these uh, pagan countries did, but they had other. Dagon was one of them. They would, they would worship all these other gods, little G gods, not big G Jehovah gods. And so, did I mention Jonah hated these people? Did I mention he didn't want to go? Well, notice that the Bible says that their wickedness has come up before me. God tells him their wickedness, the people over Nineveh, their wickedness has come up before me. Now anytime you see that uttered in the Bible, when you see God pointing out wickedness in people, you better expect something is about to happen. I mean, it's just it's just going to be. He pointed it out in the days of Noah when he looked out and every man was doing whatever he thought was right in his own eyes. What happened? Well, he warned him, of course, and he and he told his man, he says, listen, you go out there and preach. And, and Noah preached and preached, what, it was 120 years or so that he preached while he built that ark, and nobody would listen. The only people saved were Noah and his family and the animals that were on the ark. And so when God saw that, that men were wicked in that day, he said, I'm just going to wipe them out. He did it in the land of Shinar after the flood in the land of Shinar there. And uh, they started building a tower up into heaven because they thought they were better than God. They wanted to be seen by everyone. And what did God do? He looked down. He said, hey, let's go down and see what's going on. Goes down there. And what's happened? These men are wicked. They're wicked. And they're not worshiping God. They're wicked. And so what does he do? He confounds their language. And then he scatters them all over the face of the earth. That's, that's where your languages come from, by the way, when God scattered it and confused their languages. He did it in the wilderness with the children of Israel. After they led out of Egypt's bondage, what happened? They went into the wilderness. They started complaining. We'd be better off back in Egypt with the leeks and the garlics and all this. So you brought us out here to kill us. There's no water. There's no food. So what did God do? He allowed them to wander around in that wilderness for 40 years. On a trip that wouldn't have took a week, they took 40 years wandering around and around in that wilderness. And you know only two of them got to go into the promised land, out of the original group? It was the children that got to go into the promised land. So when he looked out and saw the wickedness of the children of Israel, their rebellion against him, he said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to deal with that, and we're going to do this. He did it again when the children of Israel bowed down to false idols there in the land of Israel. In the northern kingdom and then the southern kingdom. He looked out and said these people are wicked. They're worshiping false gods. What am I going to do? I'm going to allow their enemy to come in and destroy them. And that's exactly what God did. So you mark my word. If God points out wickedness, something is about to happen. It would not surprise me one bit to wake up in the morning, turn on the news and it say Russia invaded the United States of America. It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me to hear North Korea has fired a missile into the United States of America. It would not surprise me. I am surprised that God has allowed us to go through on on in this wickedness and this country, the way this country has turned wicked and against God, how he's allowed it to go on. The only reason he does is because he's gracious and he's merciful and he loves us. How long do you allow your children to be wicked? You don't want them to be. You know, I heard about a, a, a young man just yesterday. A young man that he he obviously committed some crime, uh, hurt some other man, and that man ended up dying. And this is a young man, he's only... 16 years old now. This happened when he was 15. At 16 now, he's been arrested and he's going to be put on trial for murder. At 16 years old. You know, you pray for your children. You pray that they'll always grow up and do what's right and and not have to go through such things. But oh goodness, can you imagine? At 16 years old, your life is over because of something you did. That does not take away the love that that boy's parents had for him. Their hearts are broken. His mother's heart is broken. God, it doesn't take away His love from us when we rebel against Him. But He does want us to turn back to Him. Mark said something about when he would sin, he repented. And he knew that that's what the Lord wanted. And that is exactly what God wants us to do. Look at verse 3. Oh, that first word, that ought to give it away right there. But, (laughs) Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. Does anybody else have a hard time saying that word Tarshish? I do. I want to say Tarsus, but uh, Tarshish. Uh, So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now I ask you at the beginning of of the message there to underline those two phrases in that verse, from the presence of the Lord. Let's not forget, again, who Jonah is. He's God's prophet. It is not his place to flee from the presence of the Lord. In fact, it's his job to flee to the presence of the Lord and to remain in the Lord's presence. So we're not told this fact just once but twice. If you see something repeated in the Bible, you better take notice because God is trying to drive it home in your head that he really wants you to pay attention. You know, it's like when you were a kid and you did something wrong and your, your mother or your father would say, you know, Byron, if they just say that, I'm probably not going to pay much attention. But when that door opened and my dad yelled down the steps, Byron, Byron, I was out of that bed. You better believe I was up those steps within seconds. So when God repeats something in his word, and he, he does it often, pay attention. He's put it there for a reason. And so this phrase is very interesting. If you study on it here in your King James Bible, you'll find some very revealing information. Jonah was not the only person in the Bible that tried to flee from God's presence. Over in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, the Bible says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. All right, so we all know the story, right? Adam and Eve, what they do, they sinned. You know, They were tempted and uh, Eve took of the fruit and then Adam willingly fought along and took of the fruit. And so through Adam, sin came into the world and to all men. And so what happened after that? They realized their nakedness. They were sinful. They were in sin. So what did they want to do? They wanted to flee from the presence of the Lord. That's what the Bible says. It says they he hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. So naturally, when you're in sin, you don't want to be in God's presence. That's what happens to a sinner. They want to get out of God's presence. I'm talking a a Christian. Now, people that are not saved, they sin. They sin willingly. and, And most of them seem like they don't have any care or repercussion about it or any kind of conscience. But if you're saved today, God lives within you. And when you sin, you know you're sinning. He expects you to repent of that sin. But when you remain in sin, what happens? You want to get out of his presence. You don't want to be around church people. You don't want to be around a preacher for sure. Uh, You don't want to listen to gospel music. You don't want to read your Bible. You don't want to pray. You don't want to do anything like that. Oh, don't go to church. I can't go to church because I'm living in sin. And so we want to flee from the presence of the Lord. Over in Genesis 4 and 16. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. So after Cain killed his brother, What happened? Naturally, he wants to get out of the presence of God. Now, we know God marked him, sent him on his way to protect it with that mark and all. But, after he killed his brother, the first thing he wants to do is get out of God's presence. Why? Because he's got sin in his life. Over in 2 Thessalonians 1 and 9, the Bible says, Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord? and from the glory of his power. Here, the Apostle Paul, he's writing about the sinner who is bound for hell. His last days will be punished. He's speaking of hell, and he says they will be from the presence of the Lord. I want you to know today, the worst thing about hell is you will no longer be in the presence of the Lord. You will not have the Lord smiling down upon you while you're in hell. That's going to be the worst thing in hell. Oh, the burning's going to be terrible. Oh, the, the worm that dieth not, that's going to be horrible. The, the weeping, the wailing, the gnashing of teeth, all that's going to be horrible. But being out of God's presence is the worst thing that you could ever imagine. And so Paul says there, he says, that everlasting destruction is from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. You better believe God's power is gloriful. Now, Jonah supposedly to be the man of God, was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He knew what he was doing was wrong. We know that because he, he, he admits it later on in the text. And so he knew he was in sin by doing this. And so he's rebelling against God. How many times in your life have you rebelled against God? And the first thing you want to do is flee his presence. Especially if that sin that so easily besets you, And you continue dabbling in it. And it brings you pleasure. It brings you a satisfaction or whatever it is your besetting sin is. And so you want to get out of God's presence because of it. I can look back on times when I was in rebellion against God. What's the first thing I want to do? I want to quit going to church. I won't go to church. Because if I go to church, I'm going to be guilty. I'm going to look guilty. Everybody's going to know I'm guilty. They're going to look at me in the face and see I'm guilty. And so the first thing you want to do when you're uh, in sin is you want to flee from the presence of God. And that starts at his, his house. And so you don't want to go to God's house. Listen, when you're living in sin, you don't want to be close to God. You don't want to be close to his people. You don't want to hear those beautiful songs like we heard today. And I'd never heard that song that you all sang. Love that song. It's beautiful. But you don't want a Bible around you. And you most certainly are not praying when you're living in sin because it makes you uncomfortable now I've heard a lot of excuses from a lot of people through the years of why they do this or they do that or why they don't go to church I hear all kinds of excuses and different things well I don't like the singing down there I don't like that preacher I don't like the way he preaches I don't like their style I'm way too busy I work a lot and that's the only day I've got off I'm I'm this and that so many excuses but the plain simple fact is people don't want to be in the presence of the Lord I'd rather be in the presence of the restaurant down the road on Sunday. I'd I'd rather be at the Cracker Barrel than be in God's house. I guarantee you right now, there's uh, probably very little room to sit at the Cracker Barrel at this moment, an hour right now. What is it, almost? It's uh, 1125, is that right? Uh, There's very little room there for anyone because people are packing that place. But churches are sitting empty. And so people don't want to be in God's presence. Jonah knew what he was supposed to do. He knew God wanted him to go to Nineveh, but he thought if he could get far enough away from God's presence and to a place that was opposite of Nineveh, then he would be better off and he wouldn't have to go do what God tells him to do. So that's what his, his plan is. Listen, what makes us think that being out of the things of God makes us out of his presence you're never out of God's presence, just FYI. You are never out of it. You can try to flee from it, you'll never get there. You can try to hide from God, you cannot hide from God. In fact, the psalmist David, he wrote in Psalms 139, 7-8, through Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. And so it doesn't matter where you try to go. You're not going to get away from God. There's no hiding place. God has all seeing eyes. Now, if you're truly a born again Christian, God will not allow you to continue to remain in sin without chastening you. Oh, it may not be right away. You may think you're getting by with it. But let me tell you, God will chasten those whom he loves. The Bible tells us that. Hebrews 12 and 6, the Bible says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And scourgeth every son whom he receiveth, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Listen, I didn't go around correcting or punishing other people's children, but I did mine because they belonged to me, they're my sons, my daughters. And I love them. So when they did something wrong, what did I do? I punished them. Usually, Mary punished them. <laughs> but uh, we punish our children when they did wrong. Why? Because we love them. You know, it's just like when when they were little babies and they're walking around. They've got a, a metal object, maybe a bobby pin. You women that wore them bobby pins back in the seventies, and maybe they had a bobby pin and they're running over there to the to the light socket. You know, the power outlet. <laughs> You know, what are you going to do? Oh, go ahead. You know, that'd be all right. No, what do you, you jump up? You smack that hand and you say, you get away from that. That's going to shock you. That'll kill you. Why do you do that? You love them. You don't want to see any harm come to them. If you didn't love them, you'd say, I hope he you know, shocks himself to death. But you love that child. God loves his children. He's not going to allow you to remain that way without saying, hey, hey. You know what you're doing's wrong. And so when you're living outside of God's will, it's not going to be pretty. Look at verse 4. Let's see what happens because of Jonah running from God. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Now, one thing that Jonah forgot about, when he tried to flee from the presence of the Lord, is that he cannot flee from the presence of the Lord. Uh, there's no hiding place. And so uh, Jonah is trying to flee. Uh, in fact, the place he's going is t- uh, uh, approximately 2,500 miles from the place he's supposed to be going. It's the same as if we are supposed to go to Washington, D.C., which is right around 500 miles from here. In California, they say we're supposed to go to Washington D.C., but I'm going to flee to California, which is 2,500 miles from where we're at right here. And so Jonah is trying to get as far away from God's will as he can possibly get. And by the way, I don't know if you notice it, but the Bible keeps saying he goes, he keeps going down. He went down into the ship. He went down to uh, Tarshish. He went down to this place. I believe all that is a picture of this man as a sinner. When the sinner sins, he goes down into sin. You're going down into sin. And so God sends a storm there to chasten his man. And if you're living outside of God's will, he might just send you a storm to bring you back in where you belong. He might just do it. He's not going to ask you if you're ready for it. You're not gonna turn on the six o'clock news and he's gonna be on there with a weather forecast saying, I'm gonna rain Byron in with a big storm. It doesn't work that way. He's not gonna run it by you first. He's he's not gonna get your opinion about it. Listen, would you like me to chasten you? No, it doesn't work that way. And so he is gonna he may cause a storm into your life. And if you're a Christian, how long do you think it's gonna take? If you're a true Christian, you know that, that that heart of yours is already pounding in your chest. You already know the Holy Spirit is gnawing at you and that you know you're in the wrong. But listen, God can and will send a storm to get your attention. Look at verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God. Notice that word God is a lowercase. This means a false idol God. Uh, Could have been Dagon, could have been Baal, could have been anybody. Whoever it was they were bowing down to, they started bowing down to their pagan gods and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea. Now, we all know on Gilligan's Island when the ship started going down, they started throwing everything over, okay? That's what's going on. They're going to lighten the boat uh, so the storm is not as bad or they're not going to sink. And so they start throwing out everything and calling out to their gods and praying to their false gods. And uh, the verse goes on to say, but, but. Every time Jonah's mentioned so far, it's but Jonah. Uh, That word is meaning he's doing the opposite of what God wants him to do. But Jonah, uh, I got lost there. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. Are you kidding me? The prophet of God, in the middle of a storm, a storm that's been sent to chasten him, to rebuke him, and what does he do? I'm going to go take a nap. And he goes down into the boat and lays down, and the next thing you know, he's sawing logs. He's fast asleep. So, listen, we see that all these mariners, these pagans, are afraid for their lives. They're rushing around thinking they're going to die. I want you to know that when you sin, your sin doesn't just affect you. It affects people around you. It affects your family, your friends, your coworkers, your fellow church members. Your sin affects everyone that you come into contact with. And even some that you don't come into contact with. And here we have this man, because of his sin, it's affecting all of these men. They're all afraid. They're all about to die. And so, listen, because of Jonah's disobedience, everyone in the ship is in danger of drowning. A Christian out of God's will is not a witness. He's a bad witness. (laughs) He's not a witness for God. That means every lost person that you come into contact contact with, as long as you're living in sin, you're not doing any good for God. You're not in His will. You're not following His purpose. You're not trying to lead someone to Christ while you're living in your sin. And so you as a Christian that's in sin and out of God's will every lost person that you come into contact with is in danger of destruction, of not hearing the Gospel. Because if you were where you were supposed to be, if you were where God wanted you to be, if you were in God's will and not fleeing from His presence, you would be all ready to tell them, hey, let me tell you about the Lord. Let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you what happened to church last week. Let me tell you about this, what God's done in my life. You'd be ready to do that. But you're not because you're in sin. And so Jonah is so far out of God's will that he's even able to go down and take a nap while all of this chaos is going on all around him. He should have been up there with them throwing things overboard and screaming like a girl. But he was not. He was down there just sawing away, snoozing, comfortable in his disobedience. And I want you to know, when you continue, continue getting out of God's will, fleeing from His presence, sinning willingly, I want you to know, You end up this way. You become comfortable in your disobedience. Oh, the Holy Spirit's still there gnawing at you. But you know that man, that flesh, still keeps fighting against the old man and the new man. They keep battling away. And so we see here what happens. He's gotten comfortable being in disobedience listen we barely scratched the surface of this story this morning i've got at least three more messages i told mary last night i've got a three-hour sermon i've got to preach today but i could preach on and on and on but for time's sake let me say this we know how this story ends right so he's in the well three days and three nights which by the way the lord jesus said that was a picture of him his death uh, when he was there speaking to the jews he said just as jonah was in jonah's in the well of the belly for three days and three nights so much Son man be and that's what he was referring to. So Jonah, in a sense, is a type of Christ at this point. He's a picture. He's, a, he's a, a shadow of what Christ came to do. Jonah has, has, is in that whale's belly for three days and three nights to save everyone else. He willingly let them throw him overboard because he knew he was the problem. And so for three days and three nights, he's in the whale of the belly so that other people could be saved. Now, he did it. Unwillingly. Well, he willingly let them throw him over. But all this was not his will to go down there, or not God's will, it was, it was his own will. Jesus did this willingly. Jesus came and died on the cross to save us from our sins, to do the will of the Father because he loved us and because he wanted to. They didn't take Jesus' life, he gave his life for us. He was the last sacrificial lamb to ever needed to be slaughtered. That was the Lord Jesus. And his blood was enough to redeem all men from all time, from past, future, and present. That's what the Lord Jesus did for us. And so, listen, uh, we know he gets, finally gets spit out on dry land. God allows the fish to come and spit him out. He reluctantly starts on that three-day march through the city, and he's calling out, "You know, repent! You know, repent!" He he has a very small sermon, by the way; it's not very long, and and that's all the Bible tells us about. He's going through there, telling people to repent. And what happens? They repent. They repent. They realize that this man of God has come to warn them, and that God Almighty, the God of God Jehovah, is going to destroy them. And so they repent in sackcloth and ashes. They get on their knees and they scream out to the Lord. These are pagans. These are not Christians. These are not Hebrews. These are not Israelites. These are Assyrians, pagans. And they're down on their knees praying to the Lord God Jehovah to not destroy them. And what does God do? The Bible says He repented of it. That don't mean that that He asked their forgiveness. That means He changed His mind about destroying them because they repented. They repented. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, by the way, the Bible tells us, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so listen, in Jonah 4 and 1, even though all this has happened, these people have have repented, God saved them, Jonah is still so mad. He is angry about the whole thing. And that's what he tells God, Jonah 4 and 1. The Bible says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And we know that God still kept with his man. He still kept protecting him. He even sent him, sent him a little uh, uh, plant to grow up over his head to, to shield his, his head from being burnt. And then he sent a worm to eat it and he got burnt. But each time we see that Jonah's relieved because he's got some shade and the next thing you know the, the worm eats the thing and he wants to die. He keeps telling God he wants to die. You know, It's so bad on him. He thinks it's so bad to witness to these Assyrians, the people of Nineveh, that he'd just soon die than do this. And that is, he tells God. And so the Lord, you know, he's, he tells God his reason for fleeing from his presence is this. I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of evil. Now... I don't know about you, but this man Jonah, even though he was able to go and and do finally God's will, and these people repented, and we see that he he got the job done, but he never was happy over it. And th- that that book is always it's just kind of ended. It just kind of ends with God saying, you know what what's up? You know why, why are you so, so upset? You're you going to cry over this? And uh, that that's really the way it ends. So what I'm trying to get tell you here is this, despite our flesh, despite our weakness, despite our rebellion, despite all the things that we do that we know we ought not to do, God still loves us and he's willing to forgive us and he's there for us. He wants the best for you. We just got to let him give it to us. We just got to let him uh, follow his will. He wants that more than anything in your life. He wants your obedience more than anything in your life. Your obedience. If we'll just obey God, be in His will, stop fleeing or trying to flee from His presence, we're going to find that our life is going to go a whole lot smoother. Now, I don't know what's going on inside of your heart this morning. Only you and God knows that. You may be sitting here today with a smile on your face, pretending everything is A-OK, but down inside you're getting eat away. Down inside, the Holy Spirit is just gnawing at your heart, telling you, you know, you know this is about you. You know this is your problem. You know you've been running from me. You know you keep trying to flee from my presence, but for some reason you came to church today. Maybe that's you today. I don't know your heart. Perhaps your Christian walk is suffering. Maybe you've been trying to flee so much out of God's presence, and you're weak, and and we become weak when we get out of God's presence We need His strength. He's the one that gives us that strength. And so when we're out of His will, we start getting weak. Our flesh is weak. We know that. Maybe God has sent a storm your way. Maybe you're battling a storm right now. I know many people today, there's so many things going on. Maybe that's you today. I don't know what you need, but God does. Have you been running from Him because the Holy Spirit has you under conviction? Is that you today? Do you need help today? I know Brother Kevin would love to pray with you if you, if you want to come to the altar today. I'm not going to uh, run the, the service. I'm going to hand it back over to him. But, but listen, this is important to know that if you are a Christian today, our job is to be pleasing unto the Lord. That is what he expects from us. Now, will we always be? Will we always live a perfect Christian? No, we're not always going to. There'll be times when we will stray, we will rebel, we'll get out of His will. But I want you to know that He loves you so much. He's willing to take you right in. That's all He wants from you. And the Bible tells us to cast all your cares upon me, upon God, for He careth for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you today thanking you so much for the message. Lord, I, I don't know who it was for, but I know you tell us in your word that it will not go, it will not be returned unto you void, but it will go out and do that what you please. It will accomplish that what you please. God, there may be one here today that needs your help. Lord, I don't know their heart, but you do. Lord, you know my heart. God, the times that I have failed, the times I've rebelled, and God, the times that you've graciously taken me back in. Lord, if there's one here today that needs help from you, I'm praying today will be the day, God, that they submit to your will, Lord, and turn things over to you. Lord, help us today. Lord, as Kevin completes the service today, Lord, I want you to to just be here in our presence, God. In Jesus' name, amen.